from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this life. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight a prepared path. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, the last time we had our broadcast, we spoke about um, faith in application. We spoke about uh, Israel's travail or Israel's journey in the wilderness and how they were unable to walk with God by faith. We saw um, through the scriptures, I think we looked at Hebrews chapter 3 and um, some portions of Hebrews chapter 3 and some portions of chapter 4. And we noted that Israel in the wilderness had a hardened heart. They had an, an evil heart of unbelief. They were unable to believe God in spite of what they saw. They were unable to you know, obey God because of the hardness of their heart. And so the Bible concludes that they were unable to enter into the rest, into the plan, into the promise that God had for them because of their unbelief, because of their hardness of heart, because they just were not able to walk with God by faith. Indeed, the Bible tells us that the same message that was preached to us was preached to them, but that message did not do them any good because they did not mix that message with faith. The faith was thrown, as it were, out of the window and they were unable to walk with God by faith. And so we were encouraged as a result to ensure that we do not develop a rebellious heart, that we do not uh, get involved in sinful living or disobedience or unbelief the way they did and they lost out. Now, Israel was essentially a, a, a type for us the believer today because Israel lived at a time when God's presence was seen God's presence was shown to them in the pillar of uh, the, 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 the cloudy pillar and the, um, the, 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 the cloudy fire that was leading them and moving them from one place to the other in the same way we find a situation in which we are unable to walk with God in spite of the fact that God is speaking to us through his word. His word now becomes the way by which we are guided. However, we will need to trust God. We will need to live by faith to be able to believe the word of God and follow the leading of God by his word and by his spirit. So we began to learn lessons from Israel in the wilderness on how not to walk with God or rather on how to walk with God and not how to walk the way Israel walked and missed out on the promise of God. Now, in the Old Testament time, the promise of God was a land, the land of Canaan. In the New Testament dispensation, the promise of God is eternal life in heaven, what we would call our own Canaan as it were. And our promise is hinged to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Now, this is important. Because what we want to discuss today is tied to that. Why was it difficult for Israel in the wilderness or even indeed in the promised land to walk with God? Why was it so difficult for them? So that brings us to what we want to discuss today. It is at the very core, at the very heart of the gospel message. Because Israel was unable to walk with God because of the nature that they had, the nature of Israel. In, in, in their DNA, in their nature. But the Bible describes that nature, I think, in uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Let me, let me just uh, briefly go there. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. The Bible tells us concerning Israel. 
when Stephen was given his defense, he told the, the Jews, he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So here we see a, a summary of what was happening in, in the lives of the Israelites in the wilderness and even in Canaan. They had a stiff neck. You couldn't stir that neck in the direction that you wanted that neck to go. The neck was just stuck in one place. And then their hearts were uncircumcised. Their ears were hard of hearing. Their hearts were hardened. All manner of things were happening to them. So they were not able, they were not able to believe. They were not able to obey. And so God could not do the things that he wanted to do for them. Let me read another scripture. Because it is it, the, the, what, what we are doing now will we'll begin to explain quite a number of things to us and the, the real essence of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 13, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke the parable of the sower. And then his disciples asked him, saying, Why is it that you always speak to these people in parables? This is the Lord's reply from verse 11 of Matthew chapter 13. It says, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, for whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. So what is this saying here? It's saying that if these people had a right disposition in their hearts, they would have repented and I would have healed them. But Israel never had that disposition. Sadly, we see the same thing happening in the church of God today. So we want to begin to look at a, a different, albeit within the same um, global theme of the truth about the gospel. But we want to move away from the matter of faith not entirely, but we want to move into a major issue here, what, what, I would, what I want to call the flesh. Now, to understand what I'm speaking about here, what we want to talk about, let me read Romans chapter 8 from verse 1 to 9, which will serve as a text for what we want to discuss today. Romans chapter 8 from verse 1 to 9. There, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, 
But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. But Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, what this whole thing is telling us here is that there is a way to live our lives. We can live according to the flesh or we can live according to the spirit. But what does this living according to the flesh, what does it really mean? First, let's address the issue of that word flesh. Now, the flesh has different um, ways by which it is presented in the Bible. For example, the flesh can be referred to this, this soft uh, tissue, soft substance that is in every living being, what people would call meat. That, that, that has bones and blood is passing through. And so it is both for animals and humans. So when we talk of flesh, we could be talking of meat that people eat. Then we could talk of the body, the body of a man as in a human being. The, the Bible says in uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, when the Lord Jesus was speaking to uh, Peter, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. That is, it did not come from any human understanding. It did not come from men. So we're speaking of man there. In, in, that, in the use of flesh there. Then there is the, the flesh that describes any living creature. Any living creature will be described as flesh. Let, let me just do uh, a, quick, a quick reading on that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I am going to be reading from verse 35. From verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 35. It says, but someone will say here, was speaking about the resurrection, uh, how people went would die and the resurrection of, of, of the believer. It says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that, uh, sorry, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be put, there shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. So he's speaking of all living things here. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So here, when we talk of the flesh, he's speaking in terms of um, a living being, a living creature of either beast or animal or fish or birds or whatever. Now, in Romans chapter 8, we see the, we see the flesh being used in a different form. From all that we've said, it's not talking of meat, it's not talking of um, the, 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 the human body, it's not talking of a living creature, but it's talking of something else. So in verse 1 of Romans chapter, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, there is a comparison being made between the flesh, 
and the spirit. So what is it really saying here? The flesh is used in this context as that human nature, that mere human nature, that earthly rudimentary nature of man that lacks divine influence, that does not have the spirit influence upon it. And therefore, it is prone to sin and it is opposed to God. So it is saying that it is possible to walk, to, 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 uh, to be in Christ Jesus and still walk according to this nature that is prone to living a life of sin. To, to give us a, a better scenario of this term, the flesh, there are several ways by which we can uh, interpret it. One way is to look at it as the sinful, in fact, some, some uh, Bible translations actually describe it as the sinful nature of man. So man has a nature that sins. In another way of looking at it is another way by which some translations describe it says the sin-loving nature of man. That is saying that man has a nature. He is born with a nature that loves to sin, a nature that adores sin, a nature that adulates sin, a nature that glorifies or gratifies sin. Then and the, 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 we, we also look at the flesh as the human nature, the nature that is, that is intrinsically tied to being a human being. Some, some descriptions like we've seen in Romans chapter 8 refer to the word carnal mind or carnal man. Is speaking there of the natural man, which is another which is another euphemism for the flesh. The natural man, the man with his natural, raw, uh, animalistic thoughts that are that sensual, that is evil, that is wicked, that that has no godly nature in it at all. Another another euphemism for the flesh is the called the old man, the old nature. The Bible says. In, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He is created anew. It says, or, or, it says, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he is newly created. Even though we see the same human being, yet there is something that has taken place within him. Now, to, to, to further push this uh, matter of the flesh a little bit, uh, let, me, let me give an illustration. When we receive the gospel in our hearts and we pray and ask God for forgiveness, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and within our lives, he begins to do a work of renovation. He begins to change our lives around, turn our thinking around. So the flesh is in that realm of the, of the mind of man that is tied to the way man thinks, his emotions, his thought process, the, the, the things that trigger action in him is there. So that when a man becomes born again and the Spirit of God comes into him, now there is the influence of the Spirit upon the heart. And that influence of the Spirit is there to begin to change the way the man thinks. Romans chapter 12, and I'll read Ephesians also. Romans chapter 12, in, in verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove 
what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we speak of the flesh, we are speaking of a mind that is carnal, a mind that sees things only from a natural perspective, a mind that is focused only on the things that are earthly, the things of this world, the things that is used to. So we all grew up with a nature and we had an understanding and we even had maxims to go along with that understanding. For example, there's a maxim of which we, which we grew up with. Says, Seeing is believing. It's, it, is, it is a carnal maxim. It has nothing to do with the scriptures. It has no basis in scripture. Scripture says, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see. So when the Spirit of God comes, he begins to work on that mindset that we have, that seeing is believing and says, no, this is not an appropriate thing for you as a child of God. For you as a child of God, you need to believe in order to see. So he begins to change our orientation on how we conduct ourselves in life. In, um, Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse um, Ephesians 4. Let me read it from verse 17. It says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind. They are walking in a fleshly manner, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. So there is an unlearning of the human mind to begin to assimilate something that is of the mind of Christ. So this transformation... It says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. This transformation is a change of the mind. That is why we say repentance has to do with a change of the mind. A change is taking place. That's why we use the concept of being born again, being born anew. A new mind is given to you, and this change is taking place gradually. In verse 21, it says, if indeed you have heard from, you have heard him, that is, you've heard Christ, and have been taught by him, by his word, as the truth is in him, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the way you've been behaving, that fleshly nature, the old man, we use that as, as a feminism for the flesh, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So there are two things happening here. There is the flesh and there is the spirit of God. So the, the, the flesh is that nature that we have, which is domicile in our, in, our, in our soul, in our mind. So the soul is where the spirit of God now begins to act upon to reorientate us, to remove all those mindsets that we had, which was which is attached to this world, and give us a new way of thinking, a new thought process, whereby we can now be able to submit ourselves willingly, freely, without fear, unto God. 
and then serve him in an acceptable manner. This is the living the life of, or living according to the spirit as is being said in Romans chapter 8. So that at the core of the gospel message is this issue of the flesh and the spirit. Now, man is, is um, a, a spirit who has a soul and lives in a body. Now, what, what tends to happen is that after somebody has said some prayers and says, I'm now born again, he begins to walk on the outward, forgetting that the walk is first, of, first and foremost internal. It is in the spirit. Now, when we become born again, genuinely born again, the spirit of God, the spirit of God comes to connect us to God. So he becomes, as it were, a conduit linking our spirit to, the, to, to, to God through himself. And so we now have link with the spirit of God. But as he comes into our lives, he begins to act upon the soul and removes all the thoughts that we had which are of this world. The idea is to now remove this old nature that, 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 that um, directs the way we conduct ourselves and give us a new nature that will direct us to be able to conduct ourselves in a new manner. The best one of the illustrations I can give here is there is a building that requires renovation. If the Holy Spirit were coming to renovate that building, which would be you, the, he is going to go inside and begin to remove all the plumbing, all the uh, that is bathroom stuff. He's going to remove the walls. He's going to tear walls apart. He's going to break into the walls, remove the old wiring system, do a total renovation. If you looked at that building from outside, you wouldn't know that anything is happening inside because the work is internal, primarily. So he does all of that internal work, removes all the old plumbing. It is when they start kicking these things out of the building, they say, oh, something is actually happening here. And then they start bringing in new things and start putting new fittings. After the inner part has been done properly and painted and everything, then he comes outside and paints the outside. So you see a new building, both inside and outside. But what we have today is that when this happens and people, because they have no faith, do not permit the Spirit of God to do the work of renovation that he has come to do. And I give you the example where there's the maximum of sin is believing and the Spirit of God says, no, you must believe in order to see. Now, if a man refuses that thought to change in his life, but still goes to church looking good, looking fine, looking nice and so on and so forth, what has happened is that we painted the outside of the building and did nothing on the inside. So even though the building is looking new from outside, but when you enter inside, you discover that nothing has really changed in the building. It's just paint. They just painted over it. And a very poor job of painting at that. The essence of the gospel, therefore, is to change man from the inside out. So not only do we have a, a, a man whose expressions and so on and so forth change, ch changes, but that on the inside primarily he is changed so that is what makes some people to say god is not interested on the outward he's only interested on the inside but that is a lie from the pit of satan because the way it works is that if indeed the inside has been changed the outside will also change 
Now, so what we try to do is to change the outside and leave the inside. That's a very horrible extreme. Then there's the other extreme that still does nothing on the inside and does nothing on the outside. And says God is not interested on the outside, only on the inside. But even the inside that they're speaking about, nothing has happened there. It has not changed. They still have lewd thoughts. They still dress in a lewd manner. They still do whatever they want to. They still speak in vulgar terms. And so on and so forth. So internally nothing has happened. I think it's in Matthew chapter 15 that the Lord Jesus made a, a, a statement. He said, it is not what comes into man that defiles man. It is what, it is what comes out of man that defiles man. He says, out of the belly, out of the heart, the mouth, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that the way our speech is, is tied to what is happening on the inside. Now, when the Holy Spirit therefore comes... He comes to change the way we are thinking because it is from your thought that your, your expressions and your actions take place. So at the core of the gospel is this nature of man. Another illustration I can give is the illustration uh, which I tend to normally give. That is, let's assume that it were possible for a goat to understand the gospel. And so, and you know that it is in the nature of goats to eat grass. So I take this goat to church and he's sitting down there. I'm making so many assumptions. Let's assume that the goat understands the Bible and so on and so forth. So I'm preaching the scripture. I go to church with the goat. He sits down there and he has the preacher say, look, grass eating is bad. What you should eat is the fodder provided to you by your owner. The goat says, wow, this sounds fantastic. I'd like to eat fodder that my owner gives me. So the owner is happy and takes the goat back home. Says, now, this goat is going to stay at home and I'm going to be able to feed him with fodder that I have brought. But there's something wrong with that thought process because it is in the nature of goats to eat grass. Now, the fact that that goat went to church and heard the message that says, do not eat grass, but eat fodder rather. So the goat uh, uh, stays a little bit, waiting for fodder, and then they give him fodder, and he says, wait a minute, there's nothing, there's something wrong about this taste of fodder. I don't like the taste of fodder. So what does he do? He goes out and co continues to eat grass. And then we beat the goat and say, what's wrong with you? I took you to church. I spoke to you. I told you, eat fodder, eat fodder, eat fodder. But instead, what you are doing is you are going out to eat grass. Stop eating grass. Stop eating grass. In fact, we need to go and see pastor. Then you come to pastor again. And pastor spends time on the goat alone. Preaching to the goat that stop eating grass. Grass is bad for you. You are now a new goat. You are no longer the old goat. You need to eat fodder and not eat grass. The goat says, thank you, pastor. In fact, you have really helped me. You have done very well for me. Thank you. I'm going to obey my, I'm going to obey my owner. I'm going to obey my master. I'm going to eat the fodder. I will not eat the grass. So he eats fodder again, but something is wrong somewhere. And then he finds himself outside trying to play. And before long, he, he eyes, he sights a place full of grass. He looks around, sees nobody, and goes there and eats a little bit of grass. I, I can't, I can't, I can't cope with this. What is happening to that goat is that it is in the nature of a goat to eat grass. Speaking to the goat to eat fodder is not helping the goat. You must change the nature of the goat. When the nature of the goat is changed to love fodder and to hate grass, then you have succeeded in transforming the goat. So it is here. The gospel message is not a message of word only, but of power. 
It carries within it the power to bring to pass what is spoken to the hearer. If the hearer is willing to receive it and live by faith, remember when we're talking about faith, we said that it is how we live in the kingdom of God. We don't live any other way. We live by faith in the kingdom of God. We live by trusting God. We live by believing his word. We live by living his, out, his word out. So that when we are told that this lifestyle is wrong, we say, okay, we want to live a new life. But you cannot live that new life if the spirit of God has not acted upon you on the inside. So that when you become born again, the Spirit of God must act upon you on the inside. That is what changes you. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 again, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now many, um, many of the translations actually stop here. They don't mention the other parts. So I, I, I believe this other part is added to explain to us that we are not just talking of somebody who is in Christ Jesus, but somebody who is in Christ Jesus whose internal mechanism have been changed so that he is not walking according to the flesh but according to the spirit the gospel message goes right to the jugular of the problem and the problem is the flesh it it it, it goes for the for the jugular of the flesh and says we need to deal with this thing so the gospel message is about transforming the man in such a way that the flesh, that nature that loves to sin is removed and a nature that hates sin but loves God is, is, is introduced. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We call that work the work of sanctification. Which I think we looked at sanctification. It's the work of sanctification. It's the work in which the Holy Spirit comes to purge, that is remove the old nature and purify, that is introduce the new nature. Remove the old man, put off the old man, which we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, and put in the new man. The new man cannot be mixed up with the old man. So the old man must first be removed, and then the new man brought in. And all that is required is that you are willing. Now, in the case of Israel that we looked at in the last broadcast in the wilderness, Israel had a hardened heart, so nothing could penetrate. Israel had a stubborn heart. They were stiff-necked. They were uncircumcised. So the old nature continued to remain regardless of what God was saying. So it's, that's why it says, if you hear the voice of God today, do not harden your heart. Open your spirit, man. Allow the Holy Ghost to come in and remove this nature. In verse 2, it says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The word law there could mean power. Or some, some, people, some, some people say it could mean principle. So let's use the word power. The power of the spirit of life, that's the Holy Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the power of sin that leads to death. That's what that, that, that verse is saying. There is a power in the spirit of, that the Spirit of God possesses. That frees us. I don't, I don't, I can't free myself. So he makes me free. He brings me out of the hold of sin that leads to death. It is like a gang, sin is like a gangster who has, who has kidnapped me, who has abducted me and has locked me up somewhere. The Holy Spirit is like the law officer who comes 
and uses his superior authority, superior gunfire, superior uh, 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 administrative authority to boot out this criminal who has held me captive and then released me. Now, having released me, don't forget that in captivity, I, I lived a different life. I couldn't eat what I wanted to eat. I ate what sin gave me to eat. Some of those meals were not even palatable, but I just ate them. I was in, in, in forced labor. I did whatever it was that sin wanted me to do. I acted in a different manner. But when I was now free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, I am now brought into a new life. But this new life does not free me to do as I like. Because this is the, this is the, this is the, the problem with modern day preaching. Modern day preaching preaches a freedom that is not freedom. Freedom that does not have boundaries is no freedom. That is what the Bible calls license or licentiousness. Licentiousness is what many people believe the gospel is teaching. But the gospel doesn't teach licentiousness. The gospel teaches freedom. And that freedom that they call liberty, which the gospel preaches, is liberty that is bound within uh, laws, within the, 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 the uh, act of obedience to the word of God. So it hems you on the right, on the left, and says, you cannot go outside of this place or outside of that place. But within this place, you have your freedom to move around. That is what it is. But the fleshly nature always wants to find out what is here. It, there is this curiosity in the flesh that wants to find out what is happening outside of this boundary. So the flesh always wants to go beyond the boundary. We see that a lot in little children. If you tell a child and say, don't go out, all that child, all that is happening in the mind of that child is how to go out. Even you, once we tell you, don't do this, all that is in our mind is what to do that would, that would make us do what we are saying, don't do. Now, the reason why this is happening is because there is a nature in you, it is called the flesh. It is a carnal nature. And this nature is described in Romans chapter 8. Now, let's continue to read before we get to the description of this nature. In verse 3, it says, For what the law, yet here we're talking of the law of Moses, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, through this nature that is in man, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness, not that he, he, that he sinned, but he came in this form of man, of human nature. He came as man on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So the way God dealt with sin was not to bring uh, someone, was, was, not to, was not to bring someone and give him a different case. No, he brought that person in the form of man with all the frailties and then said, I want to prove to these men, to these two humans, that it is possible to be free. It is possible to live sin free. It is possible to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. You go and show them. So when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he came to demonstrate to us that it is possible to live for God even in this human body, even in this world. So he says to the disciples, including you and I, you are, even though you are in this world, you are not of this world. Your nature is not of this world. Your, your kingdom is not of this world. You are not of this world, even though you are inside this world. The, the dictation that you are going to be listening to is, doesn't come from this world. So the things you are going to do is not of this world. Now, in verse 4, so he came 
showed us this thing. And then he went to the cross and paid the price for sin. So upon him was imputed the sins of the world. And he was killed on the cross. The Bible says in Colossians, I believe it is, that uh, every ordinance that was written against us, Christ nailed them to the cross. So the cross is the symbol of the death of the flesh. It was on the cross that sin was destroyed. It was on the cross that the flesh of man, the, the nature of man was destroyed. So by faith, because again, you, you, you are not going to do this on your own. You are going to have to trust God to remove that nature from you by submitting to him and saying, Lord, I want this nature out. And God is going to do just that. In verse 4 it says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The, the law has its demands. Even though we hear many people say, oh, we, we, are not in, we, are not in, we are not under the law, we are under grace. That is true. But thou shalt not kill has not changed. The fact that you are under grace does not mean you can kill. So what some people do is to say, we are no longer under law, so we can kill. And that if I kill, there is grace available. That is a disgraceful message. I used, I, used, I used murder because it's an extreme case. But it speaks of any other thing that we want to justify under the law. The law's requirement must be fulfilled. The Lord Jesus made it absolutely clear in Matthew chapter 5. When he said that he had not come to destroy the law. Or to take it away, but to accomplish its purpose, to fulfill its demands. The law demands that if a man sins, he should be dealt with. Look at Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 17. It says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, which is what, is, what the Old Testament is. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one till will by no means pass through the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There was a righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to live by law, but they did not have the ability to do that. They, they wanted to obey traffic regulations, but the nature to obey was not in them. So let me use the illustration of traffic regulations. You want to obey traffic regulations. Traffic rule tells you to drive at a particular speed on a particular lane. But sometimes the nature of, um, I'm in a hurry. I need to do this. I need to do that. Or that nature, that nature just wants to commit sin. And so what does it do? It just overtakes anyhow or drives against traffic or does whatever it likes. So as, for as much as there is law, we now have to enforce the law. Why? Because the nature of man cannot obey the law. The reason why we have law enforcement officers is because of that. Because we cannot obey laws. Even our own laws. Even when you make a law for yourself and say, I'm going to wake up every day at 7 a.m. You are going to break that law. Because it is in your nature to break the law. We are lawbreakers by nature. 
And so we have to employ law enforcement officers who sadly are also by nature lawbreakers. So we find a situation in which we now get all sanctimonious when we find a law officer breaking the law. As though something different is in him. There's, he's still the same man. He's like you and I. Nothing has changed in him. He still has the same nature as us. We just call him law officer so that we can put upon him an authority and tell him keep the peace. But he's a human being. He will take bribe. He will do the... Will do. So until a man comes in contact with the spirit of God through repentance in Christ Jesus and then allows the spirit of God to do this inner work of renovation, he is still going to be the same person. He's just, we are just going to be polishing him up. We can put police uniform on, on, on him. We can put military uniform on him. But he's still the same man. He can kill. He can rip. He can steal. He can do anything. He's just like us. Just human. With the human nature. That's why we expect so much from people that we call leaders. But they are like us. They have the same nature. Nothing has changed. The only way the leader can be above board is if his nature is changed. Send him to school like the goat was sent to church. Nothing is going to change. You can send a leader to the school of leadership. Inside of him are agitations. What the Bible refers to as passions and affections. Lusts that are just waiting to unleash. So we get somebody. We tutor him. We train him or her as the case may be. And he, be he or she becomes a teacher in a school. We trust him or her with our children. But that nature of man, that nature that loves to sin is in him or her. And very soon you find this man or this woman having sexual intercourse with our children in the school. And we are offended and say, what? You are a teacher. Shouldn't you know? But the point is, yes, we expect this of him, but he cannot change. He is a human being. He has a nature to sin. Unless we address that nature that loves to sin, the flesh, we are wasting our time. This is the crux of the gospel. So the gospel comes to say, I want to deal a death blow to sin. How do I do that? I must kill the flesh. That is, I must destroy the nature that loves to sin. I must render that nature powerless. I must cripple it and make it ineffectual and ineffective so that it can no longer allow sin to have its way. I must make, remove that nature and put in this man a nature that will hate sin. This is what sanctification does. This is the job of the Holy Spirit. When you have come to Christ, the first thing he does is to begin to put in you that nature that hates sin. So what he does is he, he makes you to begin to hate the, even the sins that you did. So you find yourself in a spot many times under deep conviction. You look back at the things that you have done if this has happened to you and you realize that, wow, you will flinch even at yourself. It's as if you want to rip yourself off your skin. What, 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 how did I do this thing? How could I have done such a thing? But while you were doing it, it didn't mean anything because that was your nature then. But when the Holy Spirit came in, he changed your nature. And as he was changing your nature, you began to see yourself as truly a sinner. This is the convicting work of the Spirit of God. Now, still on Matthew chapter 5, when the Lord Jesus was now speaking about the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, he began to use certain things from the law. Let me read just one or two. In, in, in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother 
without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer that gift. Agree with your adversary quickly. While the, what he's saying here is that, look, at the core of murder is for you to see another human being as nothing, as a fool. When you see another human being as nothing or as a fool, then you justify killing that human being. So what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is, let's get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is your, your thought process that can see another human being as nothing and then justifiably kill that person. Then it comes to the matter of adultery. Let's, let's, let's uh, read that from verse 27. He said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's the law. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Then he goes and says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, what is the Lord Jesus saying here? He's saying the law that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, let me tell you how it works. Adultery begins in the mind. So once you begin to have a fixation about looking at a woman to lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. What you are doing when you are committing the physical act, that's all it is. It's a physical act, but adultery already taking place in your heart. Which is why pornography is a problem. The moment you start viewing this pornographic material, your mind, that is where the everything, your passions are in your mind. Your emotions are in your mind. Your sentiments are in your mind. Your thoughts are in your mind. So the Bible says, renew this mind by the word of God. Allow the word of God in your mind. Let the spirit of God walk on that and change you from the inside out. So that when we see people who are still living like the people of the world, even though they go to church, we say they are carnal. We say they are fleshly. They are fleshy. We say that the nature of the flesh is still in them. And this is what the gospel message is about. How do we get man to live as God wants him to live? In um, 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says from verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Basically, anybody who commits sin is contravening the laws of God. That's what it means. You are lawless. And you know that life was manifested, sorry, that he, that is Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Christ had no sin. He came to deal with sin. And he came to take away our sins. But not just the sin superficially, but what is causing that sin. That's what he came to deal with. The flesh is what is causing that sin. That nature loves sin. That nature accommodates sin. That nature says, hey, come in, come in, come in, come in, come I love you. That's what it does. So if you can remove that nature, then sin has no power. When sin comes, he discovers that what is here now does not, does not love him. 
He has no power. He cannot rule over you. But if you have a sin-loving nature and sin comes, sin will rule over you. So even when you say, I don't want to do this, you find yourself doing it. We find that in Romans chapter 7, but we're not going to read it because that, that's going to be a very lengthy thing. I just want to discuss the subject uh, as best as I can today. Now, and then it says in verse 6, whoever abides in him, that is abides in Christ, does not sin. Whoever sins, he's going to explain that later. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So if you are living in sin, it means you have not seen Christ. You have not interacted with him, known him. You, have not, you are not intimate with him. You have not had that interaction of intimacy with Christ. That's why you can still live in sin and not even be bothered. That is how the world, the world will live in sin and not be bothered. But if indeed you say you are born again and you are living in sin and not be bothered, then you are still very much in the flesh and not in the spirit. And if you are born again, you are supposed to be in the spirit and not in the flesh. In verse 7 it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he that is Christ is righteous. You cannot say you are righteous when you are not practicing righteousness. Do you understand? You can't say you are righteous. You are a sinner. You are still a sinner. You may have repented, but you are still a sinner because you are doing the things that you repented of again. And the essence of the gospel is to remove that thing from you and I so that we don't do it again. In verse 8, he says, He who sins is of the devil. God forbid that you and I will be said to be of the devil after we have confessed our sins and repented. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ was manifested, was revealed, was shown forth to destroy the works of the devil. So if we are in him and he in us, then the works of the devil in our lives must be has been destroyed. The deliverance you are talking of happened at salvation. And happened as the Spirit of God began to change you from inside out. You were being delivered. In verse 9 it says, Whoever has been born of God, this is where I'm going to, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Why? For his seed, the seed of God, remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. God cannot sin. So when you and I were born of our parents, natural parents, we took on the DNA of our natural parents. So now that you are born again, born of God, you have the DNA of God. The DNA of God is averse to sin. The DNA of God hates sin. So if indeed you are born again by the Spirit of God, the DNA of God that hates sin is in you. So the Spirit of God comes in and the first thing it does is to put a nature in you that hates sin. While he's dealing with the sins in your life, he puts in you a nature that hates to sin. That's why it says you cannot sin. Oh. You may make mistakes now and again, but you cannot deliberately sin. That's what he's saying there. I think, I'm not sure if I've illustrated it before, but let me give you an illustration. If you accidentally step on dog poop, the first thing you want to do is to, you know, wipe your shoes off thoroughly, clean it thoroughly, because you accidentally stepped on it. But for somebody to step on dog poop and then be playing in it, now, you know that that fellow did not accidentally step into that. He did it voluntarily. There are some things that we cannot accidentally do. You cannot accidentally commit adultery. The thought had to have been in you. What we can talk about is accidentally thinking about it and immediately catching yourself and repenting of it. But the actual act came because you gave room to it to fester in your heart. And what the Spirit of God seeks to do is to come and deal with that thing from the root. Remember the tree that the Lord Jesus Christ cursed, that it began to wither. 
from the root. And that's what God wants to do, to deal with the issues in your life from the root, from the very beginning. So in verse 5 of Romans chapter, we're back to Romans chapter 8 now. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, according to this old nature of man, this sin-loving nature of man, this sin-tolerant nature of man, this sin-adulating nature of man, this nature of man that just delights to sin and, and the pleasures of this world are around. This nature, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, according to the leading of this nature, that this nature is saying, you do this, think like this, go this way, and so on and so forth. Those who live according to this nature, they set their minds on the things of that nature, of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on the spirit of God. So it's either you are focused on God, or you are focused on on the things that the flesh is asking you to focus on. One illustration I can, I can give is of somebody who is listening to his mates rather than listen to the wisdom or the counsel of the elders, people who have gone before him. You are bound to make the same mistakes as your mates. So if you are following the, the, the leading of your nature, you are going to fall into sin because that nature loves sin. There's no, he's not taking you anywhere else but to sin. But the nature of God is averse to sin and takes you away from sin. In verse 6 says, for to be carnally minded, to have this mind of sin, to have this mind of nature, this, this, this bestial nature is death. It leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. This carnal mind, this nature, is hostile, is in perpetual enmity against God. It hates God. Oh, don't worry that he goes to church and sings, I love you. It, the inside of it is a hatred for God. How do we know it's a hatred for God? Because he does not obey God. The Bible goes on to say, it says, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It is averse to anything that is God. So he can go to church and hear the message of the preaching of the gospel. But he's unwilling to do it. It's not just that he's unable. He's unwilling to do it. If there is first a willingness, then the ability is supplied by God. But when you have a nature that does not even submit itself to the spirit of God, does not accept God to do anything in it, then you have a situation in which even when the spirit of God wants to help you, he is unable to help you because you are unwilling to accept it. The man who has the nature of the flesh, the man who has the flesh, who has that nature that loves to sin, cannot be helped. The only way we can help him, the only way rather the Holy Spirit can help him, is for him to go and say, I don't want this nature again. Please come and remove it from me. There must be a willingness in you to change. Otherwise, it cannot be changed. For as long as that nature is in you, you are going to love the fashions of this world. You are going to change your clothing according to the fashions of this world. You are going to do things according to the way they do it in the world. You are not going to act according to how God wants you to act. You are going to act as you want to act. Now, let's just quickly try and conclude and, 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 and um, end what we want to discuss here. He says, so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, the, the only way by which we please God is by faith. So, what this means is that if you are not living by faith, you are living by the flesh. So, to live by faith is to live by the Spirit. The Spirit of God directs you and we live by faith as we respond to the spirit of god but if we're not responding to the spirit of god then we are responding to the flesh that's what it means so that's why it says in, in verse one again of chapter it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus who are not living according to the flesh but according to the spirit 
If you are still living according to the flesh, there is condemnation. And then verse 9, where we're going to end this discussion. It says, so then those, uh, so it says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Remember what I said at the beginning. The spirit of God must come in and dwell, not visit, but dwell, live there. He is housed in you. He lives in you. Anywhere you go, he goes with you. He's there telling you, go left, you go left, go right. The more you respond to him, the more you grow, not just spiritually, but what we call the anointing is the presence of God. So the anointing of, in your life increases. Anointing is just for, it's not just for preaching. Anointing is essentially the Holy Spirit rubbing off on you. The Holy Spirit and you will interact better each time you obey him. The more you do his, his bidding, the more he increases in your life. Until he's, he's all over you as it were. That is the anointing. It is the result of our interaction with the Holy Spirit, listening to him and yielding to him. So he comes to indwell us. He says, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ in him, he is not his. So if you don't have the spirit of God in you, even if you go to church several times, even if you are listening to the message all over and over again, nothing is going to happen to you. I've met a number of people who have said, I go to church. Oh, I was in church yesterday. Oh, I was in church today. Uh, what did the pastor say? They tell us what the pastor said. And then I ask them one vital question. Are you born again? And I notice that they hesitate. And I know that they are not born again. And so I'm beginning to wonder, what are they doing there? So you can go to a church and hear the message over and over again and nothing is going to happen. Why? The nature that you have does not respond positively to the word of God. It fights against it. It looks for a reason not to do the word of God. That was what Israel was doing in the wilderness, which you mustn't do here. That is why when you get born again, the first thing that the Spirit of God does is to come and indwell you. And the Bible says, if he is not indwelling you, you are not a Christian. That's what, it, that's, that's what it's saying. A Christian is known by his character, by his nature, which is not the nature of this world, but the nature of God. You cannot be a Christian and hate another person, even if that person is not a Christian. That is how we know who a Christian is. So it is sad that during election time, we see people writing all kinds of vectives in, um, on social media. And when you look at a lot of them, they even, quote, they even quote scripture and they quote God and say this and talk and say all kinds of things. The truth of the matter is their nature has not changed. Today, I want to encourage you, first and foremost, to go to God in repentance. To seek God and say, Lord, this nature that loves to sin in me, <clears throat> come and get rid of it. Come and remove it from my life. I am willing, surrendering to you. Come and have your way in my life. Come and save my soul. Remove the nature of, of man that is in my soul and put the nature of God there. Come and indwell me by your spirit. Save me to the uttermost. Make me whole again. Maybe you've said that before. But you find yourself still struggling with sin. Then talk to God. Say, Father, this nature that is in me, that is not of you, come and remove it. Now you can say to God, you have said in your word, every tree that my father has not planted shall be uprooted. Lord, this nature was not planted by you. This nature was planted by Satan. It was brought in because of Adam's disobedience. Come and uproot it from me. Come and make me whole again. Come and help me to walk with you. In the spirit, not in the flesh. Until we meet next time. God bless you. Thank you.